spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's the biggest time of the year in the nerd world. It's episode 274 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, live from San Diego Comic Con. 2019, actually in my hotel room of San Diego Comic-Con 2019. So yeah, the volume's going to be a little bit lower. Remember last year's show when I had to like whisper because I was recording the podcast at like midnight. If you listen to last year's San Diego Comic-Con show, it's a little bit earlier. Still going to be, you know, considerate to my hotel neighbors though and keep the volume down a little bit. So you might want to turn the volume up on this week's show just a little bit. But you know what's coming. Now, this is going to be, again, the news from Wednesday and Thursday only. Going to give you Friday and throughout the rest of the con next week in part two of my San Diego Comic-Con recap show. But here's what's going to happen this week. I'm going to be talking about some of the activations that are at San Diego Comic-Con. I've also got a couple premieres to tell you about that I went to for Batwoman and also Pennyworth. Going to be spoiler-free on those, plus some of the news that broke on Thursday, going to talk about the Terminator Dark Fate, Top Gun trailers, also interviews with the cast of ABC's new drama Emergence. I say drama. It's more of like a supernatural type thing. We don't really know what's going on, so we'll try and get to the bottom of what's going on with ABC's Emergence. But first, some of the big comic book news that's dropped this weekend. It's what we're reading, the Comic-Con edition, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Paul Aller, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Normally, this is when I tell you to drag out the long box, but I'll tell you what. This time, I'm going to try and tell you what stuff you might be able to put in your long box that was announced at San Diego Comic-Con 2019. And I will say this, though. For Wednesday and Thursday, there wasn't a ton of comic book news that dropped, but there was some interesting stuff, and I'll give IDW credit. Every year, they seem to come out with the most news in the first couple of days of the con. So let me jump into some stuff that IDW has been talking about in the first couple of days. First one, and it jumped out to me, and this is important to me, so I'm going to talk about it first. The Adams Family is going to be getting a comic book from IDW. It's going to be called The Adams Family, The Bodies Issue, which is a play on the ESPN mags. Anyway, it features a story, by the way, by Zoe Quinn, who does Goddess Mode, and I loved that book. It was really funky and cool. An artist, Philip Murphy, is going to be attached to that as well, who's doing Star Trek versus who did Star Trek versus Transformers, if you remember for IDW. Now, this is going to be coming out on October the 11th, and it's going to be coming up right around the time of the release. Actually, that is the release date, I believe, of the of the Adams Family animated movie. It's going to be the CGI animation movie. Now, here's the synopsis that was released by IDW. The Adams discover a mysterious home that promises true empowerment to the young woman who wields it. Now, Wednesday decides to complete the dark ritual hidden within this Eleventeen magazine and, and, and achieve ultimate power. So this is going to be a very Wednesday-heavy issue, which I love. Now, what kind of Wednesday we're going to be getting... In, in this, never mind in this book, in the movie, we have no idea, but I just love the fact that we're getting an Adams Family comic anyway, and the fact that Zoe Quinn is going to be behind this. I know it's going to be funky. I know it's going to be different. I don't really think that it's going to be too beholden to the movie or anything. I have no information based on that. Maybe I'll try and get that for you for next week's show. Maybe I'll try and grab some time with Zoe, see if we can find out what's going on there. Somebody from IDW. But I think that this is really cool, and and if you look at the animation style, the cover that was released, it is going to be in that style of the same animation that is in the movie. So that's the continuity, very very important there. So I just think this is going to be a cool book, and it seems like every year they have some Star Trek news as well and this year no different star trek voyager mirrors and smoke one shots they're going to be coming up it's going to be the first of several excursions into the realms of dark doppelgangers according to idw this is right from the press release by the way basically it's it's also going to be followed by one shots focused on the original series and deep space nine now correct me if i'm wrong but this is the first time voyager 
has really had their own venture into the Mirrorverse, right? And Paul Aller is going to be doing the writing here. You you might remember he did some TMT, TMNT Universe stuff, some G.I. Joe as well. And we're going to have painted art, by the way, by J.K. Woodard. If you're a Star Trek fan, you know exactly who that is because of the Mirror Broken storyline. Now, Voyager, This again, here's the synopsis. It introduces Captain Janeway of the Voyager, a, a rebel ship stranded in the Delta Quadrant, Far from the ruins of the Terran Empire, when Janeway crowns herself Pirate Queen of the Quadrant. Yes, this is serious. This is right from the synopsis. The locals, including scavengers Nellix and Kess, won't give up without a fight. Now, I got to tell you, if you want something, as a Star Trek fan, I think craving something different is has been very much the norm in in recent times. Especially, I think, that we've been getting that with Star Trek Discovery, and I'm sure we'll get that to a certain extent with Star Trek Picard as well. This feels really different. And if you're a Voyager fan, you you find that Trekkies have different fandoms, right? I mean, there's always a, you love the original series or you love the next generation, right? But then you've got Voyager fans, and you've also got Deep Space Nine fans. There's, there's plenty of other fans of other Star Trek things out there. So I think bringing Voyager into the Mirror Universe, especially for Voyager fans, will be really interesting. But then this is also something that Star Trek fans that maybe didn't watch a whole lot of Voyager are going to go, hmm, this could be interesting. I'm going to check this out, see how different it is. So again, it's the curiosity that piques you and that makes you want to check it out, or at least I think it is. Another quick announcement from IDW. ROM is going to be back in October. I love the ROM books when they were out before when they were doing the the revolutionaries and stuff like that, and IDW's uh, revolution, when they brought all the Hasbro properties together. It's going to be Rom Dire Wraiths is going to be the name of the book. No creative team or anything announced there. IDW, I mean, excuse me, um, Newsarama actually first broke this story. And the story might actually involve something to do with the U.S. moon landing or some sort of moon landing, and it's going to be based on true life events, it looks like so. That could be interesting. Still looking for a little bit more clarification on that. Maybe, again, we'll have that on next week's show. Not really a whole lot in the way of announcements from DC this week. We did find out that Jim Lee's going to draw Brian Michael Bendis' first issue of the Legion of Superheroes return, so that's going to be really, really cool. We also got the confirmation that, yes, Tom King is going to co-write New Gods movie with Ava Devaney, and, yes, he is going to be putting kind of the team together, almost like a, like a batch of consultants for this as well. So congratulations to Tom on that. We kind of already knew that though. So I didn't really think that that was quite nerd newsworthy. I thought I'd throw it in here with some other DC news that's come out. The the set there's a second printing for the recently released Raven, Teen Titans Raven graphic novel that's come out. So I thought that was really cool news as well. But here's something from Dark Horse that I thought was really, really neat. And it's uh, David Dels Malchian who you've seen in Dark Knight and Ant-Man, is going to be releasing a comic from Dark Horse called Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. And there was a trailer with it and everything. And this is going to be, the art's going to be done by Lucas Kettner, by the way, which you might know from Creepy Comics and Witch Doctor. So this revolves around Jerry Bartman, who was once a rising TV journalist and has returned to her small Midwest hometown TV station now, demoted to hosting the nightly creature feature. Jerry's professional humiliation is eclipsed by the discovery that her new job comes with a secret supernatural duty. Her predecessor, Count Crawley, was one of the last, quote-unquote, appointed hunters of monsters. And yes, they are real, and they're hell-bent on controlling the news and information consumed by humans. And I'm going to stop right there. It's going to be based in the 80s, too, by the way. And apparently there's going to be some nostalgia thrown in here as well. But this is very, very interesting. This might be the most interesting of the books that have had that, that we've learned about as far as San Diego Comic-Con news is concerned because David Desmalchian, who's in the new Dune, Dune movie that has everybody in it, by the way, he's always been a scene stealer. And he's just got a vibe for that strange and unusual type of role sort of thing, right? So that's why I'm really, really interested in what this book is going to be like. And it's got a female protagonist in it as well, which I which I really, really loved. It just seems like this is going to be a funky, fun, 
like horror comedy type of adventure sort of thing. So I'm really, really looking forward to where this is going to go. I, and, and I know that there's going to be a ton more comic book news that comes on. I'm, and I'm sure I didn't cover absolutely every comic book announcement, okay, because there's like hundreds of announcements that get made. Even in the first couple of days of Comic-Con, I basically picked the ones that stood out to me the most and shared them with you guys. There might be more at downandnerdypodcast.com, also on our social media pages as well, if you want to go check those out too. That will do it, though, for the Comic-Con Part 1 edition of what we're reading. Up next, time to jump into some serious geek tainment, starting with my spoiler-free review of the premiere of the Batwoman TV series. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. One of the things they do every preview night at Comic-Con is a premiere night on Wednesday night in Ballroom 20. I'd never been before, but I decided to go ahead and go this year because it was the premiere of Batwoman and Pennyworth. Of course, Batwoman on the CW, Pennyworth on Epic. So I decided to go ahead and attend that. And now I'm going to give you my review here, but it's got to be spoiler free. Okay, they were very adamant about that. As a matter of fact, I was actually trying to check my phone at one point. And I saw them saying, hey, put your phones down, no spoilers. And I wasn't even trying to, you know, like text spoilers or anything. I just wanted to, you know, check on my wife or something like that. So spoiler free from here on out. So basically, I'm going to start with Batwoman because that was the first one that they showed. And let me tell you something right now. The star of this first episode, while Ruby Rose was fantastic as Kate Kane and as Batwoman, the star of this show in the first episode was Alice. I'm going to go ahead and call her Red Alice, but I got to tell you what. If you are at all worried about Alice as the villain in Batwoman, yeah, you can put those fears to rest right now because she was crazy. She was fantastic. There's a lot of depth to that character that you will find out about in the very first episode, by the way. You won't have to wait too long to find out What's going on with Alice? That much I can tell you for sure. So you won't have to wait wait on that. But she is so fantastic in this first episode alone. And the relationship between Kate and her father, too, who's played by Doug Ray Scott, her uh, Colonel Jacob Kane, is very, very interesting. But, I mean, Rachel Scars- Scarston is so great is Alice. Every time she's not on the screen, I'm like, when is Alice coming back? Because that's how awesome she was in this role. I was really, really impressed with what she did in this episode. But I'm, I got to tell you, as far as Ruby Rose goes, as far as Kate Kane, she goes through a lot in this first episode. And, and that's basically all that I can tell you about that. Because she just goes through a lot, but what I think is going to be really interesting is the. I really like the dynamic that she has with Luke Fox in this episode. I won't tell you exactly what their relationship is because I can't. But what I can tell you is is that it's a very interesting dynamic. It's a very fun dynamic that I can't wait to see play out throughout the season because I think that's a relationship that's that's going to be an interesting one as the season plays out. We get to see what Kate's going through with, with Sophie. And you, you've seen the trailer, so you know the whole Sophie was taken thing, right? I don't I don't have to that's that should be no surprise if you've seen the trailer. And that's certainly not a spoiler. That's something that's that's out there. And we get to see that play out a little bit in this first episode as well. But we get to see uh, we get to see Kate's path, the beginning of her journey, and that's exactly what you should get in a pilot episode of any show, right? Is the beginning of someone's journey, and that's exactly what we're getting with Batwoman here, and I love the fact, it was was really, really well put together. There were a couple scenes that we saw uh, multiple times to really hammer things in. As, as a matter of fact, and this is a spoiler I really would love to share with you, but since the show doesn't come out until October 6th, I absolutely can't. But there is a character that makes an appearance in this first episode that you will not expect at all. That much I can tell you for sure. There is one character that you're not going to expect that is going to appear in this show. And I am not going to tell you who it is. You can go ahead and post your guesses if you like. I'm not going to spoil that for you. But 
it was it was a little bit of a surprise to me actually and and I don't surprise that easily when it comes to these things so I'm, I'm I it's a very interesting thing that they're doing with Batwoman here that much I can tell you so the show if you were worried at all how it was going to come off it comes off very very well I was really impressed with what they did with Batwoman and again the family dynamic the Kane family dynamic is going to be quite the interesting one to say the very, very least. So that's really all I can say about Batwoman without completely ruining it, in which I am absolutely not going to do because I want you to watch it for yourself and be surprised like I was. There is another surprise that you're going to get right at the end of the episode as well that maybe won't be a surprise for everyone, but it will certainly be a very, very shocking thing that you find out at the end of the episode. But I think that this will also be a very interesting thing that plays out. So yeah, when Batwoman comes out, you're going to want to watch it live because you're not going to want to have this spoiled for you on social media because there's going to be a lot to spoil. I can tell you that much right now. Now let's go to Pennyworth because that's going to actually debut a little bit sooner. As a matter of fact, that's going to be on Epics on July the 28th. So here's the deal. You've got Alfred Pennyworth. It's very, very young Alfred Pennyworth, by the way. This is, you know, before, and it's even before Thomas Wayne is even involved in any way and before Bruce is even a twinkle in his father's eye. So basically what we're following is we're following a very young Alfred. And again, this is going to be spoiler free. And and Alfred's dealing with some stuff too. And basically he's trying to find his way in the world. That's the best way that I can really, really put it. He's trying to find out what he wants to do with himself now that he is out of the military sort of thing. So it's it's that's a big part of it. And we get to see, it's almost like a, a, a boy becoming a man sort of situation that's going on in Pennyworth. But he has his friends that he's that, that kind of back him up sort of thing. And he also meets someone along the way that changes his life in a very, very big way. And I'm not talking about Thomas Wayne. And that should be no surprise again. This is not me spoiling anything for you because I think it's pretty well known that Alfred meets Thomas Wayne in some way. It's a quite an interesting way that they do meet. I will tell you that right now. It's not exactly the the textbook meeting that you're expecting or anything like that. And how their relationship plays out throughout this first episode is, again, something I was not expecting at all. And I really liked that. It kind of threw me through a loop for a little bit there. I, I, I really thought that... It would be simpler than that, and it really, really wasn't, and I and I thought that that was great. It's like, yeah, you could have played this out a little bit differently, made it easy, and it's not easy at all. And this whole thing is the start of it. This, this meeting between Thomas Wayne and, and Alfred is the start of a, you know how you take a snowball, right? And you, if you if you don't live if you live in California here in San Diego or something like that, this will be lost on you. But follow me on this for anyone who's ever been in snow. You take the snowball right and you roll it down the hill. You well, you've seen Bugs Bunny cartoons. This has happened a thousand times, and the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as it comes down the hill. Right. Well, that's exactly what this meeting between Thomas Wayne and Alfred does. Is it's this snowball that just keeps building down the hill, but the snowball can kind of change shapes. In directions at times too. So this this episode kind of keeps you off balance just a little bit, but at the same time you know exactly what's going on. And I love, by the way, Ben Aldridge is is the Thomas Wayne that I never knew I wanted because you you know there's always a stiff impression of Thomas Wayne right in a lot of different ways because we only get to see him get shot in alleys most of the time. So we don't really know a whole lot about Thomas Wayne outside of the comics, and this is a Thomas Wayne that I was not expecting to meet. Jack Bannon as Alfred Pennyworth, I was so just captivated by him on the screen. He really plays a young Alfred Pennyworth so, so well, and and I would like to say that this is a side of Alfred that we've probably never seen, but that's, that's absolutely the case, because as far as young Alfred goes, we have no point of reference for this until now. So what Jack Bannon is doing is breaking new ground. And I will say, I got to give credit to Bruno Heller here, who wrote this episode, in that he created so many identities in this episode, a lot of whom we didn't know anything about before. And he created such a dynamic 
and push this episode along actually rather quickly, but it didn't even feel that quickly, is, is that we get to find out exactly how, everything that's going to be going on in this season right away, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's certainly plenty of mystery there, and you get to see a lot of the inner politics that are going along as well. There's kind of a Game of Thronesian sort of feel to this at certain times where you don't know who's playing who or whose side somebody's on and then it gets revealed and you're like, oh, I can't believe that that's the case. Or you never know. Everybody seems to have their little bit of a secret that they don't want to let out in this episode, except for Alfred, because he, well, I mean, I guess in a certain respect, he sort of did. But for the most part, we, we know who Alfred is. We know who he wants to be, and he wants to be his own man, and that's admirable. We get to see his relationship with his family as well, which was really, really great. And I loved Emma Corrin as Esme as well. I can't wait to see how much more we get from her in this season after seeing this first episode. And I got to tell you, Paloma Faith, for some reason, in this episode cracked me up. I don't know why. Maybe it's because she's a little bit crazy in this episode. I don't know. But she really, really cracked me up in the in this episode. I got to tell you, man, this, this show was quite surprising to me. I mean, I really expected it to be good. I wanted it to be good. And it really, really was. I was so impressed at how this first episode was executed. So if you don't have epics, you might want to get on that because you're going to want to watch Pennyworth on July the 28th when that thing comes out. It's going to do it for my spoiler-free reviews of not only Batwoman, but Pennyworth as well. Up next, I'm going to talk about my experience at the Prime Video experience outside of the San Diego Comic-Con Hall. It's part one of my San Diego Comic-Con recap. We'll talk Amazon next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from The Expanse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. One of the really cool things that I got to do at San Diego Comic-Con this year was a media preview of the Amazon Prime Video, Amazon Prime Experience for three of their series, actually. First, The Boys, and then there was The Expanse as well, which is coming to Amazon for new episodes, and Carnival Row, a show that you know I've been talking about a lot here on the podcast. And I kind of want to go through everything that was going on there. First of all, there was free food and drinks, which is really, really cool. Carl's Jr.'s were out there providing for some free food and some drinks and it, it, there was just so much going on but the first thing I decided to do was the Expanse experience and basically what that was is you got to board the Rossinante which first of all was really really cool in and of itself just getting getting on board the Rossi I mean it wasn't the whole ship but I mean come on you got Rossinante on the outside and you get to step in there that, that that's always a really really neat experience if you're an Expanse fan at all. And basically, what, what you are is you're on a United Nation, Nations peacekeeping mission to a newly colonized planet called Illus. Now, basically, I don't want to ruin exactly what goes on in there. If you want more on this, you can always go to our social media pages uh, at Down and Nerdy 757 on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. I did post some pictures up there. There's some videos that have gone up as well of my experience there that I shot. And basically, you you get to immerse yourself in this new planet of Illus. You are at a part of this planet where there's something that's happened, and that is what you're going to investigate. You're going to find out what's going on on this newly colonized planet. And the, you're, the, there's belters there that, that you get to talk to. You've also got the UN there. And, and basically, it's you are inside almost like an episode of The Expanse. If you've never done one of these activations before, that's kind of what it's like. You get to step inside the world and be a part of an episode. And you've got these actors that are playing these different parts that basically have to be ready for anything that you say and ask to them and have some sort of a response to it. So it's a really, really neat thing just in general. Never mind to, to actually be able to experience. And I hats off to all the actors and all of these things that did such a fantastic job. But basically... I will say, though, of the three, I, the, the Expanse wasn't as good as the other two. It was definitely not as good as The Boys Activation or Carnival Row. But that's not, I mean, that's saying a lot because The Boys and Carnival Row were fantastic. As a matter of fact, when I went to Carnival Row, which was my second stop, 
you if you've seen the pictures again on our social media pages then you know that basically you're getting ready to enter the the world of carnival row and one of the cool things was is they gave you cards before you went in and you were either human or a creature and i got to be a creature which you know i was hairy you know i'm sure that they thought i was part creature anyway so basically what happens there is is that you get treated differently whether you're a human or whether you're a creature too so on the creature side we got treated very poorly by the police that were playing you know the the, the role of the police in these episodes right the, the cops were treating the creatures differently they didn't want them interacting with humans or anything like that and the humans it was all smiles and oh how are you doing and ushering you in a different direction but what was really cool about this was is that it was a different experience depending on what group you were with and again i don't really want to spoil anything about this it's because because i want you to be able to go in there and experience it on your own but i will tell you that when you step you're going to step through a door if you do this and once you enter that door man the experience changes and it was fascinating inside that door let me tell you that right now i felt like you anytime you do something like this you want to feel like you're transformed or transported into a completely different world it's exactly how i felt when i stepped inside of that door at the carnival row activation at the prime video experience from amazon i just felt taken to a completely different place there was some fantastic performances there and the characters interact with you i actually got tapped on the shoulder a couple times somebody asked me if it was my first time there and then someone asked me if i was a creature and i said yes and she said i knew i could spot my own kind and i thought that was really funny because you know again the hair um i hey i, I even shaved that day so i must have looked more like a creature than usual but it was just really, really neat. And the way the story played out when you were inside of it, I thought was really, really neat too. So that is one that if you get a chance, if you're at San Diego Comic-Con that you get a chance to go to, absolutely go to the Carnival Row experience at the Prime Video experience. You're going to want to do that. And then you step into the world of the boys, which was very, very adult, by the way. And if you, if you, Once you get a chance to watch an episode of the boys, you'll understand why I say that. This is a very much mature audience type show, and this was a mature audience type of activation too, because, and it's hard for me to tell you about this without spoiling the episode too, but let's just get, let's just say that there's something that happens in the first episode of The Boys, and you kind of get transported into that moment, and you have to help the situation along. That's the best way that I, that I can do for you. And really what this ends up being in a certain extent is an escape room. It's a kind of an escape room experience, but they don't go into you don't go into it knowing that's an is that's an escape room. It's it's kind of presented to you differently. And I thought that was really really neat because that's kind of how I felt. Maybe that's not the end Maybe that's not exactly what they're what they're saying here, but that's how I felt. I felt like this was just a really, really cool escape room without telling me that it was an escape room. And I will say I was proud of myself. I got to I found one of the things that that needed to be found in that room and, and I had to read it aloud for the rest of the class because it's it was a group activity, right? And so I felt like I was, you know, I was back in school. I had to read out loud to the class and do my little part. And then again, when I did that, there was a reaction to that by the actors that were involved and there were high fives and all kinds of other stuff. So it was just, this was such a fun experience. And again, I felt like I was in that place. I felt like I was in that moment in that episode, or at least in the aftermath of the moment from that episode of the boys. It was just a really, really neat thing to get to experience. And I will just say that Amazon also had this giant tower there and every so often they would put on little performances based on the show. So I got to see one from The Expanse and one from The Boys as well. And, and I got to tell you, the, even these smaller performances were very, very impressive. And this tower, you 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 can't miss it. And it was a, and it you know kind of had this reflection in the light, and there were giant screens everywhere. And I mean, it's it was it was me and a bunch of other fellow press folks that were there. Everybody was having such a good time. They were handing out some stuff. I got myself some Carnival Row wings that I, I'll post the picture up either on our website or on our, so, or on our social media pages. I got to tell you, I just had a blast at the Prime Video experience. And it was one of those experiences where, you know, when, anytime you've ever been to a con, you're like, all right, I'm going to remember that 
from this con, I will absolutely promise you 100% remember being at the Prime Video Experience. I can promise you that. So if you get a chance to do that while you're at Comic-Con, take the time out to do that and make sure you're watching these shows on Amazon too, by the way. And make sure you're listening for our interviews from the press rooms and the press conferences for these shows, for the boys, also for Carnival Row. That's going to be coming up. And man, I just cannot wait to share all of that stuff with you as well. But the Amazon Prime Video Experience, definitely an experience you want to be a part of. It's going to do it from our review of the Amazon Prime Video Experience at San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Up next, there was still some nerd news early in the con, and we'll talk about it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Buckle up, because this is where it's all going down. It's part one of our Comic-Con edition of Nerd News. And I want to start with some of the trailers, actually. And I want to start with Terminator Dark Fate, which showed a featurette from Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con. And one thing that we learned from this, for sure, is that Terminator Dark Fate is going to be rated R. I'm not sure we knew that for sure yet, but we sure know it now. And there's a lot of, well, you know, the, the F-bomb gets dropped a few times, and that's your that's your... Supposed to be like your target of, ooh, it's rated R, right? That is, you, you, that is for some reason, the golden nugget for a rated R movie. But the reason I say that is is that there's a lot of intense action in this. And I remember when I reviewed the first trailer for Terminator Dark Fate, I'm like, okay, who is Danny? Why is she important? Why haven't we found out any more about this character? And maybe the reason for that is, is that James Cameron has said it. Tim Miller said it. It went when we when he was talking about this movie, and even Linda Hamilton said it. Everybody in this featurette seemed to say it as if to cram it down our throat and make us realize this is balls to the walls, action, 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 and there's just these massive action sequences in this movie. So it's like the movie's way of throwing up a flag saying, this is what we are, and this is what we're going to be, and you either like it or you don't. And that's what they're going to do. They are going to be a nonstop action movie, period. And that's what they're billing this as. And if that's the case, that's fine. You know what? I've decided that, that, is, that that's fine. Because if that's what they want to do and they just want to make it a nonstop action movie, then then it makes sense, first of all. Second of all, it's like, okay, but why did you try to make me think that some of these characters are more important than they actually are. I'm not saying that won't turn out to be the case at some point, but if you're now going to build this as a non-stop action movie, then it better just be that. It better just be non-stop, amazing stunt after amazing stunt. But if you're going to do that too, you can't really stop that at any point, right? So it has to be constant. And one of the reasons that that Deadpool worked so well was that there were other things about it that was funny and there was other stuff going on and you didn't need to worry about how much action there was, but there was a ton of it, right? So does that mean that Terminator's going to have to have that much better action because it's not going to have a whole lot of other stuff going on? And it's great that you get Linda Hamilton back. You also get Arnold Schwarzenegger back, and that's good for nostalgia, but that doesn't always work out so many years later when you're trying to just go back to the T1, T2 type of vibe, right? So the only time will tell, really, as to whether or not this movie's going to live up to the billing or not. But I want to go to another one, and maybe you're going to get mad at me for talking about this, but it was a Comic-Con, so I don't care. So we've got Top Gun Maverick, and Tom Cruise made his special Comic-Con appearance, and everybody went nuts and, you know, had a big introduction for the trailer. And what we find is is that obviously we're far into the future, and it's Ed Harris who's playing his typical I'm a dick Ed Harris character, where he's just a douchebag to everybody, it seems like. So it's not like we're getting a big bad in this movie or anything, but if you were going to pick a bad guy in this, it would probably be Ed Harris's character. And you see Tom Cruise's Maverick, and basically he's saying you should be a two-star admiral by now, but you're just a captain. Why is that? And it's like, that's the mystery of the movie, right? Why is Maverick in the position that he is now as just a captain? And you get to see a lot of jets flying. You get, like, Easter eggs of the shirtless volleyball game from the first Top Gun movie and all this other stuff. You get Maverick riding his motorcycle. He throws the jacket on, right? So this was a big, huge nostalgia vibe 
in this trailer. So you get a lot of that. But one thing we definitely saw in this trailer as well, we're going to get female pilots this time. How could you not have female pilots at this point in a Top Gun movie? So I'm glad that they're going to be doing that. It just seems like there is a lot of nostalgia here, and I'm not sure where the story goes other than what's going on with Maverick. But again, this is the first trailer. You're not really going to get all the answers that you seek in one trailer, and I understand that. So as as far as, I think this was just a almost like a hype trailer to get fans interested in what's going on more than anything else. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was the trailer that was released by HBO for his dark materials and we've only really gotten short trailers before and this is based by this by the way the series is based on a series of books by philip pullman and it's basically set in an alternate world everybody's got their animal and an animal companion sort of thing which is almost like their soul right so if you hurt the and you see this in the trailer with uh, daphne Keane's character lyra if you hurt the animal you hurt the person as well so now there's going to be a war brewing between these people that snatch children, right? And by the way, watching this trailer, what is it with the North and HBO? Does everything have to happen in the North with snow and all these wars are occurring in the North? I mean, it makes you not want to go North, right? It makes you want to just stay in the middle or stay in the South and, and, and you're good because apparently all the bad shit happens in the north. I'm just I'm just saying HBO bad stuff happens other places too. You might want to, you know, explore that at some point. But, but and that's basically what we get we we get to finally see a lot of Lyra. We get to see a lot of Daphne Keene's character and I mean is as amazing as she was in Logan, it seems like we're going to get a, a a really great performance from her in this as well. And yes, we do get to see a little bit of Lee Scoresby's. Yep. Lin-Manuel Miranda's character, we get to see there. We get to see an armored polar bear, if you're not familiar with the book, which I'll I'll admit that I'm not familiar with the book, but maybe I need to catch up before this show comes on. And then, of course, you've got Lord uh, Asriel, who's who's Lyra's uncle, played by James McAvoy. And you've got a church agent, and you've got the magistrate's agent, right? And it just seems like that's where the war or the magister, that's where the war is going to be, right? Is between those two factions. So you actually have your sides, and she gets this, this, this almost looks like a compass. I know that there's the, the, the golden compass from 2007. This is kind of in the first, and it's kind of in the vein of that, right? And that it's bad. That was the first attempt to try and do this. So it's basically the device that's supposed to tell her the truth, and it's almost like a guide, and there's some alternate dimension type stuff going on here as well, which you don't we don't really see a ton of, but we do get to see the animal companions a lot in this as well. So while I'm very I'm very, very intrigued by this whole by the whole story of his dark materials, but I'm still not quite sure how to grasp what's going on yet. So I think this will be one of those things where until I see an episode, I'm not really going to know exactly where this show stands. So I'm going to have to go ahead and hold off judgment on that until I see an episode. But here, here's something I wanted to touch on really quick. Speaking of HBO, the whole thing about the Game of Thrones showrunners dropping out of the Hall H celebration, and I mean, a few of the cast members dropped out as well, but it seems like a lot of fans are harping on the the fact that the showrunners dropped out. And here's my thing. Really? You're really surprised that they dropped out because this is supposed to be a Game of Thrones celebration, and not a lot of fans were celebrating the showrunners. So why would they want to show up and risk some sort of... I'm not saying that they get heckled at Hall H or anything because, you know, Hall H is usually a place where things are celebrated and there's not a whole lot of anger and angst going on inside Hall H. But why would you show up there and, 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 and even risk that being a possibility? So I'm not saying that they're chickening out or anything, but it's like if you weren't the most celebrated thing about this last season, and it shouldn't be based on just the last season. It should be all the seasons as a whole. It's not like they've done a crappy job from the beginning. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here in the first place. So I, I would just say that. I'm not surprised by this at all, that they're not showing up. I'm not really even mad at it either, because anytime you have something like this, there are guests that are scheduled to appear that don't necessarily appear. So you gotta you got to be ready for stuff like that. 
I was at a panel today for uh, Netflix's The Order, which I'll talk about in a couple minutes, and one of the main characters wasn't there. You know, Jack wasn't there, but, you know, it, they tried to Skype him in, and it was hilarious. So I, go to my live tweet of that panel. It was actually pretty hilarious what was happening with his screen kept freezing and all this other stuff. But, I mean, you, you understand that stuff like this is just going to happen sometimes. So, you, you know, you can't, you can't really be too mad about it. Plus, the... It's not like these guys don't have other stuff that they're working on either. So, you know, you can throw out something legitimate out there. It's like, well, you know, we couldn't make it because we had to do this. Even though you know that's probably not the case. But again, we don't know. If, I, I can't say for sure why they didn't show up. I know that they there's been reasons given. But, you know, we'll never really know for sure what was going on there. But it doesn't really matter to me. Here's something that does matter, though. And Deadline was the first to report this. It was really early on Thursday, actually. That Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes, will finally be ending after Season 7. Now, before you freak out, remember we're on Season 6 right now. So next summer is when the show is going to actually end. And it looks like the report says there are going to be 13 episodes in this. So at least they'll have the rest of this season and next season to work out this story. Now, there's no clear indication of what's going to happen to these characters after the fact. Are we going to like see Daisy? Is she going to be in the movies at all? Is is Coulson's character going to somehow return and be back in the movies again? And they're promising some. Well, they're not necessarily promising, but teasing some maybe people returning to the show or guest stars or other things that might be happening in the final season. And if you're going to roll out the red carpet for Shield as far as star as guest stars are concerned, this is the the final season would be the season to do that. I mean, maybe Captain Marvel shows up somehow in, in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's a connection there. That's a possibility that could happen, but we're going to find out what's happening with Sarge first in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? I'll be talking to the cast a little bit later on in the week, too, so I'll try and get the, the scoop on what's going on there. But I know a lot of the topic of conversation is going to be on the show ending after seven seasons, but did, is this really surprising? We kind of knew that the show would be ending soon anyway, right? And all good things must come to an end. I actually think it's interesting that we'll have Arrow and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ending in the same year, both the flagship shows of their respective TV universes, right? You had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it was the first TV incarnation for Marvel Studios, and then you had the Arrowverse, you know, the DC shows on the CW, which was basically started, this current version anyway, by Arrow. So two flagship shows are going to be gone in the same year, different times of the year. But in the same year, nonetheless, I just thought that was an interesting little nugget of information to be dropped. But I'm not surprised at all that the show is ending at this point. And I think it's kind of, it's kind of it's kind of time anyway, right? So you want to end things before it starts to get you know sad and ridiculous and something that shouldn't just be on the air anymore. So I think that seven seasons is a darn good run, and we don't know what's next. For Marvel TV, so I mean, we've still got Cloak and Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. We've still got the stuff on Hulu, like Runaways and some other stuff, animated stuff to look forward to. So it's not like Marvel TV is going to be going away entirely. But will it be going to a streaming service exclusively? Now that's the big question coming out of this. Here's something that I wanted to share. From I don't, I'm not going to be sharing my interviews from my from the, with the cast and and producers and creators of Netflix's The Order. But I did want to share this little nugget of information that was released by, and it was actually a question that I asked to to um, the the showrunner and writer Dennis Heaton and Shelley Erickson about, you know, could we see, you know, we've got werewolves, we've got magic, we've seen golems, so are we going to see any new creatures on the show? And Dennis Heaton actually said that, yeah, that's something that we could definitely see. He said the only rule that he has is as long as the creatures can be derived from magic, that it's all fair game. He said, so, you know, probably not vampires or, you know, Frankenstein's monster or anything. It would have to be derived from magic. He also revealed that there will be a big bad coming up in season two, but wouldn't talk about it. They haven't even started filming yet, so it's not a whole lot they can really say anyway. So, you know, let your mind race as to creatures that could be created from magic that could possibly be showing up on the second season of The Order on Netflix. There, I mean, there are really a ton of great possibilities there. So I thought that that was a nice little nugget of information if you're a fan of The Order. And yes, keep listening 
for my interviews from Comic-Con with the cast and producers and writers of The Order. Yeah, there, there's some good stuff in there that I can't wait to share with you. Marvel Games hit Hall H on Thursday as well. And of course, talking about their, you know, the Square Enix version of the Avengers game. And there was some other stuff too, but this was the one that really stood out to me. And I wanted to talk about something else that I saw on the floor as well. And that is that Miss Marvel will be in this game. There's a tease for Captain Marvel, but Miss Marvel will definitely be in this game. They also said they haven't forgotten about Hawkeye and all this other stuff. And you know the game's going to be coming out in May of next year. Now, I know that the designs for the characters have been much maligned so far by fans on social media. And I, I'm, you know, I was talking about it at E3 as well. Like, I wasn't impressed. So basically what they did on the floor in the Square Enix booth was they had the replica prop versions of the suits up there. So you got to see everybody, you know, this is what, this was our idea of what we wanted in the game. So here is the physical manifestation of that. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, okay, well, Bruce Banner's is just a lab coat. So you don't even need to, you know, there's not really a whole lot we can do with that. And I'm looking at the Iron Man suit and I'm like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's okay. It's not, it's not bad. But then when I get to, when I get to Captain America, especially, I'm like, this still just doesn't work for me at all. And it's just the way that it's, I don't know, almost segmented, right? Just, it it doesn't work for me in the way it's almost, I don't want to say puffed out because that sounds weird, but it's almost like how, it's not even that he's muscular, it's almost like he's just being puffed out a little bit more is the best way that I can really think to describe it. I can't, I can't think of any other way. Even Thor didn't, did it didn't quite seem right. And it's not because I'm fixated on any specific costume from like the cinematic universe or anything. It's basically just that it just doesn't, the the look just doesn't look right to me. And I mean, Black Widow's is, isn't bad. That one's okay too. But those two in particular, I just, for some reason, I just can't get over it. I can't, is it going to make or break the game? I don't think so. As long as the gameplay is good and the story is good, I, I don't, and I don't think that it's really going to matter a whole lot what the characters look like, as crazy as that might sound to some people. But as long as the game's good, that's, that's really all that should matter anyway. But I, I mean, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm physically looking at these suits on the floor and I'm like, I just, I don't get what they're trying to do here. I don't understand why these just don't look right to me at all. So I was, I'm still a little bummed about the, about the suits. I'm not going to lie. But, but again, as long as the gameplay is good and there was some that was shown at the panel that was not released to the general public, I was not at the panel. So I can't really convey that information to you. But it seems like there's a little bit different vibe now of of how things might be going for this game. So maybe things are trending in the right direction for the Avengers game from Square Enix. Only time will tell, and we've got plenty of time to be talking about it, that's for sure. Here's a story that actually didn't happen at Comic-Con. This happened last year, too, where a story broke outside of Comic-Con. And that is that production on DC Universe's Titans actually to be shut down because of a tragedy there. More information provided by TMZ. Special effects coordinator Warren Appleby, Appleby or Appleby. I'm, I'm sorry, I, don't want, I certainly don't want to get that name wrong. But I'm going with Appleby. Passed away at the test facility after being struck by a heavy object. I'm not going to go into the details of what was released about that. Just because I don't really feel like it's... it's you know, necessary at this point, because basically this was this was a test stunt for something that was going to be filmed on the show. Now, Warner Brothers has released a statement, confirmed at least that uh, that he'd passed away, and production would be resuming in two days. But I mean, when production picks back pack up is very much second to the fact that someone had that had a family passed away, and that's a very very sad event. That, that comes from all of this. And this is a tragedy that just sometimes happens and it's a very emotional thing. And everything else is secondary. I mean, if this, you know, whether or not this delays the release of the show, I, all of that is secondary to the fact that this was a man that came to work that didn't get to go home. And that's, a, and, and, and that is his extremely sad thing. Accidents happen in the workplace. These things do occur 
outside of Hollywood as well. But this is a tragedy that you just don't expect. And I'm sure everyone on the set of Titans is just just completely and utterly gutted by this whole thing. And they're devastated, I'm sure. So, um, of course, my condolences go out to Warren Appleby's family and friends. And, and this is a tragedy that, that you don't really want to have to talk about. You don't want, and you never obviously want to see happen, but this is just something that every now and then is going to happen when you're, especially when you're performing dangerous stunts, you never know what can happen sometimes. And this is just a reminder of that as well. That's going to do it for the nerd news portion from the first couple days of San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Up next, going to be talking to the cast and the producers of ABC's Emergence. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Wynn Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. After a mysterious accident, a police chief takes in a young child she discovers near the scene of a mysterious accident, and it all sort of starts happening from there. That's right, ABC's Emergence is going to be coming Tuesdays. This fall, September the 24th, is the big premiere, and I got to sit down with some of the cast and the writers at San Diego Comic-Con this year. As a matter of fact, let's start out with Michelle Fazekas and Tara Butters, who were the who were the executive producers of the show. And they were asked, basically, what is the hook of the show? And here's what they had to say. I think when you do a show like this, that's a, sort of a thriller that has a mystery. We wanted to make sure we there was a, a mystery that could sustain for several seasons, could keep surprising you, could be something that you don't figure out within the first five seconds, but also not something that you have to hold back on. I think people get really bored. I know I do. If I feel like a show is not telling me what's going on, you start to feel like they don't really know what's going on. So we're going to explain things pretty quickly, um, or at least some of it. Well, and ho- hopefully keep developing the idea into new mysteries and kind of, that there's surprises along the way. Next up, someone asked what the importance was of having a female lead in the show. This idea always centered around a strong female protagonist. I mean, we've done plenty of shows where we've had male leads, and um, but for whatever reason, this re- this idea specifically, we wanted to tell a story about a, a mother, um, uh, someone who is also professional and is working, and that's something we deal with always. Mm-hmm. You know, being a working mom was and seeing that portrayed as a strong character. That being said, our last show was Jason Ritter was the lead. Yeah. So I think that it. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, we, we have to write a female lead show. It's just how this sort of develops. Um, that it, it just it depends on the idea. Because we also wrote Agent Carter. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we've enjoyed writing anyone from a yeah. Next up, you can hear executive producers Michelle Fazik and Tara Butters kind of talk about what the catalyst is in the show. What kind of gets everything going? There's a large-scale emergency event that happens that basically sucks our lead character, Joe, into the story. And sort of, I think it kind of catapults her into sort of the mystery right away. And so I think that people will be drawn in, because it's also a, it's a mystery, it's a thriller, and it's a family show. And so I think that the relationships that you see develop even within the pilot is something that draws you in as much as the sort of thriller and mystery. And I think you don't have to be a family show fan only to like to, to appreciate it, and you don't have to be a sci-fi fan to enjoy it. I think that it's sort of, it hits a lot of different uh, genres that there's something for a lot of different people. The final question for the producers was, did they have anybody in mind when they were casting these characters, especially the lead characters? This, this, well, this time, like, when we first wrote it, it's not, sometimes you'll do that, it's like, oh, and this character is George Clooney, but you know you're never going to get George Clooney, but it's like, that's sort of the... And I didn't... I had Alice. had Alice because... Because I hadn't watched Far And I'm like, I just, I love how down-to-earth she is, how... How I think people really engage with her. She's great at humor. She can do anything. 
and you know, so it was. A, we, we met with her huge for us, and the first thing she said was, "Am I going to have to wear a uniform?" <laughs> and we said, "No, <laughs> you're the captain. You can wear whatever you want." She's like, "Great." <laughs> um, and she, we had a really, we, we we sort of clicked right away. The other thing she really liked is she goes, "I." She, the way that mothers are sometimes portrayed on TV is like someone who gives their entire life to their child and sort of lives vicariously through her, her child, which is not our mothers, and not and not how we are as mothers, and that you know that. And we didn't ever want to write a character who's just like constantly like petting this little girl. It's like no, she sort of absorbs her into the family as a matter of practicality more than anything else. And so she really clicked into that too. That it's like being a mom was a facet of her life, but it wasn't the only defining thing of the. Of the I think Allison probably got a lot of roles that the only defining characteristic was she was a mom. And it's like no one is that. No, no one has that as one defining characteristic. So I think she. She can speak better to that, but I think she she liked that as well. And then uh, Donald Faison uh, was a nice surprise. I think we you sort of think you know him because you've seen him in Scrubs. And what's crazy is if you go out with Donald Faison, everyone thinks they know him. I've never. It's crazy. Been in New York, you just are walking on the streets and people lose their marbles. They and, and he's so kind about it, but it's like people feel like they know him and they're friends. And he's so kind. He always takes a picture. And um, but when he came in for an audition, you sort of think, oh, he's the guy from Scrubs. I don't think he's right for this role because you just think you know him. And then in under ten minutes of auditioning, we're like, oh, he just got the job. Like right. And I, he, he walked out and everyone was like, that's the, I mean, so what I love that in that short amount of time, he changed everyone's mind. Next up was a trio of characters from ABC's Emergence, Zibriana Gravera, also Robert Bailey Jr. and Owen Yeoman talking about basically who their characters are on this show. I play Dr. Abby Frazier. I am the pediatrician who's uh, been the pediatrician to the police chief's daughter since she was born um, and in the neighborhood, in the town we live in. Um, and I also get charged with uh, doing the once over on this little girl that gets mysteriously found at this crash site that they can't entirely determine. And I am also the uh, first to kind of like start checking out her, trying to figure out what her memory loss is due to, figuring out, uh, you know, what, what her origin might be based on, uh, you know, the, the, the help that I can try and give her to, to help piece back her memory or fill in the gaps that she seems to be having. Oh, I, um, I oh, and I'm Abby's best friend. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I'm yeah, Joe's no. best friend. Yes. We've been friends forever. Uh, well, uh, my name is Robert Bailey Jr. I play Officer Chris Moretto. Uh, I'm a young officer on um, Chief Joe's uh, force, South Hope Police Department, uh, played by Allison Tolman. And I happen to be on the crash site when we find Piper and thus get dragged into the big conspiracy around who this little girl is. Um, and yeah, he's just a young cop, very earnest, wants to be like Allison. He's, uh, or I'm sorry, Joe. He's known her since he was young and kind of was a big part of why he became a cop. Um, and I think this is kind of going to change his whole mindset on um, what he thinks of her, what he thinks of being a cop, and how he is in the larger uh, world around him as everything kind of gets out of whack. So, very excited. I'm Owen Yeoman, um, and I play uh, Benny Gallagher, who I like to fancifully imagine has been named after one of the Gallagher brothers from Oasis, but I don't think that is true. But um, it's, I always find that like, when you play British people, like when I was in The Mentalist, um, I ended up, although I was playing American, the last name of the character was Rigsby, and that was uh, an homage to Rigsby, which was a character in a show called Rising Damp, which was an amazing 70s sitcom that none of you would have heard of. But it was brilliant in the UK. Go home and look it up right now. Um, but yeah, Benny's a, an investigative reporter um, who, who appears at the crash site and seems to have, you know, 
It's kind of hard to know where his allegiances are lying at this point. He's definitely a little bit of a grey area, and um, you know, it uses a lot of humour, I think, to divert. He's very cheeky and charming, and which is totally unlike me. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have to agree with it like so wholeheartedly. <laughs> so, yeah, he's totally not ch yeah. not charming at all. Um, but I think underneath all of that, there is a genuine desire to get to the bottom of this mystery. You know, and I feel as if there's a kind of there's a banter and a kinship that's developing with uh, with Alison's character, and who knows where that might go, whether it becomes a romantic thing or whether it's sort of one of those things that they are just in something together and really, really keen and, you know, concerned with trying to get to the bottom of this little girl, Piper, who's the central mystery of the whole show. And from that, the question was, what was it about Piper that makes these characters want to be so invested in her? Well, I think uh, Chief Joe is such a central figure in the town. We all have close relationships to her, at least the two of us do. And so, you know, she ends up taking her in because she doesn't know what's going on, but she sees there's a little girl that needs her help, and that's just what she does. And I think as a result, we're like, I don't know what's going on, but if she needs help, we're there. Um, and so I think that's just what you do when you're you're close and people are like extended family to you. You kind of try to be there for them as much as possible, uh, even if you don't know entirely what that means. And I think we're going to start finding out through the course of the season that we bit off a lot more than we thought uh, we did. So it's it's kind of just you stick up for family, and if they need you and they're doing something, you step up for them, and, and you find out what happens. Yeah, and to add to that, I think the our act, our little actress, our young actress Alexa, is is such an endearing character. Great, everyone very quickly falls in love and in protection of her, and we all, I think, quickly start to find uh, that we are minding her her, her safety. I so I think that's part of what becomes us going deeper. Is it's important for us to find out what her origin is to kind of make her safe, or at the very least, keep her from. Sorry, you see that? No, no, yeah. Shut <laughs> keep up, you. Her from yeah. the dangers that keep kind of rearing their heads out of the corners. You may. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I think my motivation is slightly different too because I, I don't, you know, it's not made explicitly clear that I know Piper at the, uh, uh, certainly throughout the pilot, and that I know that the, there was a little girl uh, around in the crash site. There was a great line in the original script that said, um, you know, when Joe said, what are you doing here? It was like, well, you know, it's, it's a plane crash, I report the news, plane crashes are news, you know, and so on a very, very basic fundamental level, I'm doing what you guys do, you know, I'm just here to sort of investigate and report and get to the bottom of it. And so of uncover what seems to be the beginnings of, of a conspiracy or maybe something that is a little bit wider reaching. So I think my motivation is less to do with Piper initially and more to do with is there something bigger at play here? Is there some sort of foul play that could become a wider arc that's played out throughout the show? Did I give anything away there? Yeah, most of the, most the, of the show, plot. Okay, yeah. just check it. <laughs> Next up was Donald Faison and his on-screen daughter Ashley Aufterheide and of course, you know I had to follow up on what the executive producers had to say about Donald. Let's hear his side of it. So what have you learned so far? Pop quiz. Yeah. <laughs> we were on the tour, a big surprise, yeah. apparently. I was a big surprise. I, you know, I'm glad they told that story. Um, you know, I went in on the audition. And I remember I studied with my wife. And before the audition, I was like, I'm going to go in and watch what happens. And she's like, all right, we'll see. So I went in and I auditioned. And then I met up with my wife at our kids' soccer game. And uh, I was like, you know what, baby, I'm going to tell you the honest to goodness truth. I really think they only saw Turk when I walked in. <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, you know what? At least she went out on it. And then I got the part. <laughs> and things have changed. I would call Michelle over here to tell the story, but I think she told it already. Am I right? Excellent. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Donald and Ashley sat down, it was pretty clear that they had a good chemistry together. So someone asked if that father-daughter relationship just sort of clicked in right away for them. I think you're a very likable person. Yeah, I was about person, to say, she's so. very easy to like. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah, hard. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, look at that. I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I, we clicked. Yeah, absolutely. And I... Obviously, look, I did good. <laughs> the next question asked to Donald and Ashley was, how do their characters really become involved in this mystery of the show? I'm kind of thrust into it uh, by accident. I think we all are, kind of, but uh, my character, mostly because all he really wants to do is spend time with his daughter. And this new girl comes in and is taking that time away from him. So he's trying to find ways to be around her and 
things happened, you know what I mean? And crazy things happened, happened. And, uh, and then he realizes, okay, now I have to stay close to my family again, even though we're divorced, even though Joe and Alex are divorced. His daughter means so much to him, and Joe means so much to him. It's a different type of divorce. They're still really good friends. They're just not in love anymore, you know what I mean? And that happens sometimes. And I don't think we see that on television often. And it's fun to explore that, you know what I mean? But anyway, so he's thrust into it. And when he sees what, hap when he sees what this girl can do, he's like, I got to protect my daughter. I got to protect uh, my ex-wife. I got to protect her dad. And I got to protect this little girl, too, because there's something special about her. Next up, Ashley talks about her audition for the show. And not only is this a fun story, but it also takes a very interesting turn. Check it out. Well, okay, so my first audition was the self-tape. And we sent that in. And then I think 12 hours later, they said, okay, you have to fly out to L.A. to do a screen testing. So I was like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. I mean, I'm going to L.A. and it's happening so quickly. So then I fly out to L.A., do the screen testing. I met Alexa there. And we clicked right away then. We were talking. And we already became friends then, so we were both hoping that we would get the part so that we could spend more time with each other. So I do the screen test, and I met Michelle and Allison, and oh my god, I love them. I obviously couldn't say, oh my god, I love you, because, you know, that'd be weird. But yeah, I, I liked them immediately. And then I left the screen testing, I talked to my mom, I said, oh yeah, I feel good about this, I really hope that I get it, and I read the pilot, and I thought it was so good, the writing was amazing. And so then I go back home, and then they say, okay, we want you to meet with the director. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is great. So then we go meet with the director. I talk with him for probably 20, 30 minutes. We do the audition again. And then I think probably three days later, I got the part. And it was so exciting. And it was a long audition process, kind of, because there were a lot of steps to it. But it kind of happened very quickly, which was great. And then we started shooting. And here we are and now. And here we are. Yep. The, the whole process of getting on the air was crazy, too. I'm sure you guys heard about all of this went on with NBC to ABC. Yeah, well, as actors, as actors, you know, to hear that the show, you know, the phone call was, okay, so NBC's not picking up the show, and it was like, oh, no, because you know what that means. i got to wait till next year for another pilot. That means I'm going to be auditioning all year long trying to get something else. And then, uh, the, then they were like, but ABC, I think, is stepping in. So we're very lucky and very, mm -hmm. very, very happy to be on television. Oh, yeah. This is the best. Yeah. I, I'm so excited. I, we're very know, happy to be at Comic-Con, yeah. too. I know. I love it. Everyone was telling you that it's so busy and everyone has so much enthusiasm. And, well, and you broke the mic. <laughs> yeah, I'm that excited. Okay, wait. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all everyone says it is. I, if that makes sense, it's no, it living is. up to what it says. It, I don't know. You haven't even gone What's to the parties say? yet. You don't even know about the parties. I know. Yet. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for the parties and all the you interviews. You might meet Tom Holland at the party, girl. Okay, I love Tom Holland. Just so you know, Tom Holland, if you're seeing this, I love you. Oh so, yeah. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Yeah, Tom. You heard it. Maybe say, yeah, Tom, watch. <laughs> and maybe DM me while you're at it. No, 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 so it sounds like Ashley really wants Tom Holland to watch Emergence every Tuesday starting September 24th on ABC. I mean, it seems like such an interesting mystery show and there's all kinds of different character dynamics here. And it just seems like, you know, there's not a whole lot of uniqueness in the genre anymore, but it feels like this has found a niche of being very, very unique and in even putting a good family drama in this as well that I'm very interested to see what happens when we see the premiere of Emergence on ABC. That's going to do it for part one of our San Diego Comic-Con recap show from, of course, the Wednesday and Thursday. Get the rest of everything on part two's episode next week. And yes, there will be another interview on there. I won't tell you what it is, but I'll be teasing it at DownAndNerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, Facebook.com slash DownAndNerdy as well. If you want to keep up with some of the news as it happens, make sure you're following us on there. And go to our website too, downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.